It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, February 26, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Alaska has relaunched a big effort to support small businesses in the state. The Buy Alaska program from the University of Alaska's Small Business Development Center was formerly an internet platform which had been dormant since 2017. Katie Ashbaugh took over Buy Alaska at the start of the pandemic in 2020 to retool the project towards a new goal, to educate and encourage the public to shop from Alaskan-owned businesses first. In a presentation to the Sitka Chamber of Commerce on Wednesday, Ashbaugh outlined the economic and social benefits of supporting Alaskan-owned businesses. Supporting small businesses also means that we are improving our regional resiliency. Uh, The growth of businesses regionally spurs innovation and growth that is unique to our locations, and this can be really important for Alaskans that are facing our own unique challenges and environments. Um, In addition, relying on Amazon can be volatile. Uh, Amazon, when they, you know, when they can't or won't deliver, when they raise their prices or their shipping costs to remote locations, um, by that time, local stores are out of business and our communities are reliant on outside resources. Ashba reminded the chamber audience that small businesses in Alaska employed just over half of the private workforce. She said that recent economic studies indicate that 63 percent of revenue from local business remains in state compared to 23 percent of non-local business revenue. While the Buy Alaska program will continue to focus on public awareness and branding, Ashba says that the UAA's Small Business Development Center remains a major source for both new and existing small businesses in the state. Ashba said that the services of the SBDC will continue to be free until March 31st. You can find a link to Ashba's full presentation to the Sitka Chamber of Commerce on our website, kcaw.org. Alaska's plan to pay out nearly $50 million to the fishing industry for pandemic relief has been approved by the federal government. That's after two major revisions and more than 200 public comments from every industry sector, says Fish and Game Deputy Commissioner Rachel Baker. Commercial applicants will need to show that the COVID-19 pandemic caused them at least a 35 percent loss in revenue last year. Applications will be accepted during a two-month window that opens March 1st. Payments could come as early as June. Baker says a major change to the final plan now excludes commercial permit holders who live in other Pacific states like Washington and Oregon. Non-resident charter guides are eligible, provided they have an Alaska business license. The money comes from the original CARES Act that Congress passed last year. More than $17 million will go to commercial fishermen, $13 million for sport and charter guides, and nearly a half million dollars for aquaculture businesses. A $2.5 million pot of money is reserved for rural households that had pandemic-related problems accessing subsistence fisheries. The program was developed by the state but is being administered by the Pacific State's Marine Fisheries Commission. NOAA Fisheries approved the plan this week. Ketchikan businesses are now reckoning with the prospect of another year without tourists. As KRBD's Eric Stone reports, some managed to limp through 2020, but there's uncertainty how they'll survive a second season without cruise visitors. The pandemic and the ensuing shutdown of cruising in the U.S. has upended Southeast Alaska's economy. And Lindsay Johnson, owner of Ketchikan Dry Goods, is trying to adapt. My store originally was more of a boutique and gift shop. And we've been shifting in the last six, seven months to being more of a specialty food store. That's because the million plus yearly cruise ship visitors she relies on for the vast majority of her revenue didn't arrive last year. And they're not coming this year either. 
So she's stocking fewer souvenirs and t-shirts and more hard-to-find foods, from Italian salamis and French cheeses to local specialties like sea asparagus pesto and canned gooey duck clams, all for a local market. Like it's something I can be really proud of in a way that I don't think I could be proud of like selling a shirt. It's also cut how much she relies on tourists for revenue, and she says the new model is keeping her afloat. I mean, looking at my numbers, it, it's it's done a really good job rep like replacing that. We're making it, you know. But many businesses in Ketchikan can't turn on a dime and rejig their business model. Take Lighthouse Excursions. Owner Jeff Carlson says his tour company employs about 20 people in a normal year. You know, so we've got two 60-foot vessels. It's a, it's a tour based on the water. Operates right out of Ward Cove here in Ketchikan. The three-hour tour is firmly aimed at cruise ship passengers, large groups of tourists who all arrive and depart at about the same time. And while companies with smaller boats, like charter fishermen or kayak rental companies, can lean on independent travelers to offset some of the strain, Carlson says that's not a viable option for his company. It's difficult for us to book, like, say, you know, two or three people who stayed at a hotel. Our capacity, we need to, you know, put 20 or 30 people on our boat to, to justify operating. Carlson's wife, Rebecca S. Bjornsson, keeps track of the numbers as the company's shore operations manager. She says Lighthouse Excursions put their gift shop up online in an effort to drum up some business, but... Our retail is really branded for our tour, and so we didn't really expect it to bring in a lot of income, and honestly, it didn't. She says the company didn't see almost any revenue last year. S. Bjornsson says grants and loans from federal, state, and local authorities were critical in allowing them to hang on through 2020. And Carlson says they'll probably need some more help to make it to next spring if ships don't return. An initiative to jumpstart Ketchikan's tourism economy is already underway. Krista Hagen chairs a group involved in that effort and knows the fallout all too well. Her day job is vice president of Taquan Air and Kawanti Adventures, which runs sightseeing flights and a rainforest park south of town. We will see businesses that will not make it, unfortunately, more than what we saw over the last 18 to 20 months. So it's devastating. Devastating not just for business owners, but for employees that rely on tourism jobs for a paycheck and for the community as a whole. Hagen says she's worried that Ketchikan could see brain drain if underemployed people leave. I'm worried about the intellectual assets that we are losing. Many of our businesses are technically um, diverse and we have invested a lot of our, um, our time and, and resources in training these individuals. And that could have lasting consequences. Even so, Hagen, like all the business owners interviewed for this story, remains hopeful that Ketchikan will weather the crisis and be ready for tourists to return whenever that may be. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. In rural Alaska, living remotely comes with challenges and some surprising advantages. A few small island communities like Pelican and St. Paul have made it through the whole pandemic so far without a single confirmed case of COVID-19. And as Nad Hers with Alaska Public Media reports, some of those towns have vaccinated enough people to be close to reaching herd immunity. If you fly into the Bering Sea Island village of St. Paul right now, a van will meet you at the airport, says Amos Filmanoff, president of the island's tribal government. And the driver is all decked out in you know, a white suit, mask, gloves, the whole nine yards, and he delivers you back to whatever 
house or facility you're going to be locked down in for two weeks. To put it another way, the island is not messing around with COVID-19. At one point, Filimonov says a charter plane full of seafood processing workers arrived unannounced. They were delivered to their boat on the back of a flatbed truck. While some residents of road system communities have mounted angry resistance to local health mandates, Filimonov says that's not happening in St. Paul. I, I haven't had anybody calling me up, you know, saying that this is too restrictive or this is BS or anything like that. It's just, yeah, people have been complying. With 500 residents, St. Paul is one of Alaska's largest communities with zero confirmed coronavirus cases since the start of the pandemic. And roughly half of its adult population has been vaccinated. But it's not the only place to record such impressive numbers. Everybody claims that it's so hard to get in and out of here. I say that's perfect. There is no better time to be stranded in what people call the middle of nowhere, because I call it heaven. Walt Weller is mayor of the tiny and famously remote southeast Alaska fishing town of Pelican, which is more than half vaccinated and has also seen zero confirmed cases among its 75 winter residents. For years, Pelican's leaders have objected to cuts to state-sponsored ferry service, but Weller acknowledges that a months-long gap in visits last year probably helped keep the virus out. He says the island town has taken COVID-19 seriously, closing some buildings and encouraging hand washing and mask wearing. But he attributes most of Pelican's success to its isolation. Half the people here almost never left here anyway. They're not going to have you tell them that they're not going to go over to grandma's house, which they do have done every Sunday their whole lives. Okay. Alaska has at least 10 communities that have made it through a full year of COVID with no cases. And there are likely more, as the state health department won't release data about villages with fewer than 1,000 people, citing privacy considerations. Many of the communities like Pelican and St. Paul are on islands or otherwise hard to get to, and many have also adopted strict travel and other health mandates. Dr. Ann Zink, Alaska's chief medical officer, says she thinks there's also a degree of luck involved. But we also know that mitigation strategies work, and it's been pretty amazing to see some of these smaller communities work incredibly close together and collaboratively to be able to keep COVID out of their communities and what that does to protect elders and to protect others. Zink says she's always worried about declaring victory too early, but she acknowledges that some of the communities with no COVID cases might actually be nearing that point, as vaccination rates in certain places have hit as high as 90% of adults. On St. Paul, Filimonov, the tribal president, says residents aren't letting their guard down. He says discussions are starting about the summertime and whether it will be safe for tourists to visit, maybe in a closed bubble. But in the meantime, there's no escaping the need for hand sanitizer. Never seen so many damn dispensers for hand wash in my life, but uh, they're everywhere. And, you know, it's it's learning to live the new normal. And uh, well, I hope that someday soon this thing is just like the flu. For now, St. Paul residents are sticking to social distancing and wearing masks in public buildings, too, Filimonov says. In Anchorage, I'm Nat Hers. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is Morning Edition 